Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast back again. You know, ever since the pandemic hit, families have had to work and live in extremely close quarters due to out-of-home restrictions. Now, this has led to either tighter bonds or stress and strains on relationships. And many parents are struggling due to lack of childcare, mandatory homeschooling, and not having the time to connect with other parents outside the home. Well, my guest today is the owner of the Happy Home Movement and works with families all over the world to bring harmony and connection back into their homes. And she's none other than Jessica McElveen. Now, Jessica began her journey as a social worker, which led to her to explore the therapeutic benefits of yoga for children with special needs and those impacted by trauma. She now works with parents who want to understand their children based on their epigenetic expression and stage of development. She's an NLP master practitioner and timeline therapist, hypnotherapist, and epigenetic coach. Now, with the use of Jessica's unique framework, she's able to understand the drivers behind the behaviors of all family members. She believes that once we understand behaviors, we can understand the person or child in front of us. And her work has led her to be featured on Channel 7, Profile Magazine, Salt Magazine, My Weekly Preview, and National Foster Care Career Conference 2018. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. I'm glad to have you. You know, we have so many parents that listen, you know, working parents, and it's been stressful, you know, to say the least, having the kids around the house so much. And, you know, obviously every little conversation is heard. It's very hard to have privacy. So having you on to kind of guide our audience is, is going to be very beneficial. Now, I know you started as a social worker and I have, you know, friends, mm. I've heard some really heartbreaking stories from those people that I know. When did you start to research and realize that yoga had a significant positive impact on special needs children? Was it while you were as a social worker? Yeah, it's a really good question. So it was actually it was actually after I'd made the decision to leave social work. So I I worked within foster care and child safety for a number of years. And although I loved this role, there was a few uh, systematic beliefs and issues that I just didn't agree with. So I decided to leave you know, with this grand plan of living in Italy for a few years, Brian, that was my plan. So I did, I left Australia and I went to go live in Italy for a while just to seek clarity, I guess, on what my next move was. And um, so it was based on my own personal experience, actually. I um, So I was experiencing anxiety and panic attacks for a little while during the last little bit of my social work career. And, and I was still doing that while I was traveling overseas and you know I went to the doctor and of course um, you know they gave me medication but that's all they gave me and that does not align with my values it's not something that I wanted to teach my brain to rely on for it to be okay that's it's just not what I believed so um, I'd done a lot of yoga in the past for myself but I didn't I didn't realize you know the, the profound impact it would have on these attacks I've been having and so I started I really committed to daily meditation and yoga um, sometimes twice a day and after a week all of those sensations the sensations that were absolutely terrifying within my body they'd gone they disappeared and my mind was clearer than ever and I was feeling stronger and stronger within my body and safer and safer within my body and you know one of my friends she asked me the question she said Jess why don't you combine you know what you've just realized that works for you and feeling safe with your body with the children that you want to work with and 
there was the biggest light bulb moment of, you know, of that time in my life then. And I thought, yes, this is what's missing. You know, while I was a social worker, we would, you know, introduce all these interventions for children that were intellectually based and, and cognitively based. And based on their brain development, it's just not appropriate. And it's coming from their body where they don't feel safe. We need to be working with the body. So it was really from my personal experience through that journey and reflecting on what interventions were available for children that aren't safe in their body that led me to creating my first company, the the kids yoga therapy company that worked with those children. I love that. That is amazing. You know, you started off as a social worker to help and make a positive impact on children and families. And you found that the system was flawed. So it, it really disconnected you from the whole process. What do you think was the greatest flaw in the system? Where, where were they getting it wrong? You know, so many areas I feel, and it's easy to blame. And I don't like to be in that camp either because everyone really is doing the best that they can. And they are trying to work within a world that does have some unsafe environments for children. And they're trying to get it right. I acknowledge that. However, you know, with with the families that take on these foster children, you know, they just, we don't urge them to critically think why they're reacting in the way that they do to these extreme behaviours of the foster children. Where is, where is your, where are your triggers? Why, why is the yelling and screaming from a child so triggering for you instead of blaming the child? Yes, they've been traumatised and, and the trauma in their bodies is waiting to come out. It is and it will. But in it's, it was almost as if we were too scared to put the foster carers offside. That's what it was like. And in doing so, it then meant that all blame was on the children, all responsibility was on the children, generally speaking. And that then led to 20 placements for children. They were mm-hmm. just bouncing around. And I just, you know, I advocated and I, you know, I did my very best, but that's that's where I drew the line. You know, if we were not going to challenge people's mindsets and we, if we were not going to challenge these carers' reactions and also the people making the rules, then I couldn't be a part of it. Yeah, it's rare anybody wants to improve a process. They want to set it and forget it and just you know work within the confines yeah. of that system instead of improving or challenging it, which you brought to the table. And it's interesting you bring up the triggers when kids are, are crying or yelling. I remember you know, when I was, uh, before I had children, it would definitely bother me. It'd be like nails in the chalkboard. But now that I have my own kids, I don't know if this is a, a one-off, but when they yell and scream, I mean, obviously you want to comfort them, but it doesn't bother me like, like it did in the past. I don't know if that's rare or if that's the norm, but, uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> know what it is. It might be rare, Brian. It might be rare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's like when it's your kid, it's not that it's different, you know, than it is with other children. But, uh, Sure. What are some of the positive impacts and the transformation you've seen with some of these children that have been utilizing yoga? Yeah, so during that time of my career, there was one child who was nonverbal at the age of five. Okay, so she would not speak at school. She would not speak outside of the home. She would not speak to teachers. Yes, she'd been given the diagnosis of autism. Whether or not that was what was going on, I'm not here to judge that because I I don't necessarily believe all labels are accurate. So she was nonverbal and it then caused 
such a fear for the parents to leave the house and go on holidays and do things because her inability to communicate outside the home led to extreme meltdowns and distress for her. So after about four sessions, that's all it took for this little girl of diving into the body and starting to feel confident and strong within the body and connecting with the sensations in her body, she started speaking. She started speaking to her friends at school. She started speaking to her teachers. She just started expressing more. And what that led to then was the family went on their first holiday. They were able to go with confidence and this little girl finally felt heard and seen and able to express. And, you know, that's that's the greatest gift for me, you know, for a child to just start being able to express themselves. So that was that was a, that was a standout one for me. For others, there's been, you know, children just able to feel accepted for who they are. You know, we we're often these interventions are always about what's wrong with you, and you know, yoga therapy tends to just accept the whatever you can do with your body is perfect and accurate and okay. And let's build confidence within your body first. So then we can build confidence within the mind. You know, it is my belief that when we empower the body, we empower the mind. So, you know, I had children then feeling more confident at school in their friendships, even talking to me, you know, they just, they just started to shine. So that was, you know, that's really the goal and they were that's that's why I did it and it was amazing to see. Oh that is amazing. It's amazing the connection between the body and the mind, right? And to see that transformation exactly. happen in front of you. It's amazing. So what led you to actually starting the Happy Home movement? Yeah, so it's interesting because I went into kids yoga therapy because it was such a holistic practice, right? Yoga is. It's very holistic. However, I was still endorsing the the view that children have problems in the end. I was finding parents were still coming to me with the notion, please fix my child, please change my child. They have a problem. And, again, I, I can't be a part of that mindset because they don't have a problem. There's just a need or something that's misunderstood. That's it. And so I thought there's got to, again, there's got to be something else I can be doing. and. You know, that's when I was entering these homes, you know, I was in the most sacred place of these families and I was seeing how either overwhelmed, stressed the parents were or the the poor communication that was going on. I was seeing all of the misunderstanding. So I, I realised, well, I need to start working with the parents and that's where I need to be. So I I started on the, the journey of the Happy Home Movement and I got you know, uh, qualified in epigenetics and this this coaching framework because, again, it just brought when I had mine done and I'm sure we'll go into what it is, but finding out my own epigenetic expression and what that means for me biologically and how I think and behave, it just allowed so much self-acceptance to wash over me and a lot of that self-criticism to just disappear. And, again, you know, that's what we're all dealing with, especially parents. You guys are always comparing yourself and trying to figure out what you're doing right and wrong. And most often parents are just thinking they're doing the worst job in the world. That's what people are telling, you know, it's what all my clients are expressing and dealing with all the time. And so as much as we can bring in understanding and self-acceptance, then the homes start to feel lighter and more harmonious. Oh, I love that. It's great. 
Now, I know so many families have been experiencing issues, you know, due to being in close quarters around the clock and those little annoyances, mm. they start to amplify, right? What can parents do yeah. to take a, t- a deep breath, you know, take a step back and communicate appropriately and effectively with their children? Mm. You know, we often, we often go to like communication and as adults, our number one form of communication is verbal, right? We rely on verbal communication so heavily and it's because our logical minds are going nuts. It's like this is the only way we get to achieve anything in our world and our reality, so it seems. And children don't need verbal as much as we think. They just don't. They are acting from the, the limbic system of their brain. They're emotional. They, they've got emotions that are high and they just want you to understand them. That's it. So if we can actually silence the words more often, you'll actually find that the escalation start to decrease. The frustration that your children experience start to decrease because you're actually just listening to them and they feel heard. You know, you're not there verbalising, well, it's not like that. You don't need to feel that way. Or, yeah, I know it's scary, but you'll be okay. You don't need to worry about that. Or don't worry about your sister. She'll she'll stop. Or, you know, we're not trying to change their minds. We're just listening. That's all they need, which is good news because then you get your energy back. You don't need to be trying um, to verbally communicate so much. Just listening will absolutely alter everything. That's awesome. I love that. What do you think is the greatest disconnect between parent and child? Where are parents getting it wrong the most? Yeah, I I truly believe that we are we're in a world right now where we are competing for approval and this our children are subject to this parents are subject to this and when you are worried that your child is different to others when they're not meeting the quotas of either the school system or the books you read or they're embarrassing you in stores or they're you know whatever it is we've got these expectations and comparisons that we are always thinking about and as parents you are and all my clients this is what it comes down to because once you get into comparison and you are subjecting your the societal expectations on what it means to be a successful child or a good child or a good parent, you've lost the child in front of you. You've lost them. And it's the same as for any relationship, intimate relationships, friendships. It doesn't matter what it is. But when parents start to lose themselves in comparison and expectation, then children start to feel unseen, unheard and unaccepted and unloved. Um, and they will feel it. They know when when you don't approve of them or when you don't accept them. Um, so that's where I believe it falls down. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, I recently read your post about children hearing the word no multiple times a day. What impact does it have on them and how can parents say no in a different way? Yeah, it's interesting, that one. It's it, it, we do we hear when we're young it's it's no a hundred times a day no 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 wow. and and I get it you know we are you know it comes as it just comes out automatically I get it I, I totally get it and even with my nieces and nephews it's such an unconscious thing and I have to be so conscious but instead of saying no it's providing an option of something they can do because why are we limiting choice we are so caught up in trying to prevent risk prevent things from happening prevent 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 keep things quiet keep things calm or 
you know, keep everyone safe and okay, that we're limiting choice. And that's that's one thing we suffer from when we grow up is that we think we don't have choice or there's no solutions and there is. So it's instead of being conscious of when the no wants to come up and actually reflecting on it, okay, well, what, what's another option then right now for him or her? Okay, so Billy, you know, the, the peanut butter is not going to work right now, but what about a banana? And I know that's such a simple example, but you start with the simple ones because it does, it goes into every complex conversation you've ever had with your child. So it's just providing the example that they can do, knowing that choice is always an option. No, that's great. I love that. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Now, I know that you have the three things to consider when creating a happy home. would love for you to review those at a high level with us. Yeah, sure. So the three things that, so first, number one, always, and I, I can't ever repeat this enough, is when parents are okay, children are okay. You know, as soon as as soon as parents have children, their their world alters right forever. You you know this, Brian, and and all the parents watching. Your world alters forever, and then your focus shifts. And usually, somewhere down the line, there is these little niggles of dissatisfaction that come up. That your needs aren't getting met. You're not getting seen. You know, then your partner doesn't start to communicate with you effectively. I know a lot of the mums I work with, they don't feel supported by their husbands or vice versa. They feel misunderstood and they're not getting time to themselves. They start to lose their identity. They start to forget what it's like to be, you know, a mum behind the mother mask. And, you know, so the number one rule is when you're okay, your children are okay. So knowing that the guilt will show up regardless if you take time for yourself or not. The guilt is, if you can accept that guilt will be there and just choose you anyway, everything's going to be okay. So guilt is such a big thing that stops parents from doing things for themselves. And quite often, all I need to say is, do you know that that's never going to go away? So what if you can make a conscious choice anyway, knowing that it leads to long term fulfillment and content in your home because your children know if you're not okay you cannot hide that for one second with your children so that's that's number one brian that's number one number two then is really taking on this idea of and i've mentioned it just before but really taking on this idea of listening okay we we really underestimate the power of listening to children and listening to our partners husbands wives we really underestimate it and you know because what happens then if we don't listen that's when all the triggers start to come up for us so if we aren't understanding the other person they will get defensive there i call it the shield of receptivity so their ability to take on what you're saying it goes away and it happens both sides and it happens with your children. So what are you not hearing that they feel they need to get defensive or they need to get angry or frustrated to get their point across? What is it that they're not feeling seen or heard in? And that will reduce so much conflict. It will reduce so many arguments. Um, and, you know, this is such huge work for partners, you know, for, for couples and husbands and wives every time. So do not underestimate the power of listening. Do not listen to talk. Listen to just listen and understand the other person. And the third thing is, is that, you know, you know, and we, we did touch on it, but 
we we have this idea and it's in the yogic world it's in the 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 psychological world it's in every philosophical book but it's this idea of having the beginner's mind you know when you have if you've been married for 10 years 15 years or you know your children are four or five you know you get into a bit of a routine and you expect the same reactions and you expect the same drama or you expect the same things every day and then it doesn't allow space for anything new to show up and quite often when with the families that I work with because you know if there has been a label given then they expect those behaviors to show up all the time if you've read in a book that two-year-olds will do this at this time so be prepared you will expect that behavior to show up and when we expect things to show up we create it it happens we manifest it okay it's you know we can't explain that logically but it just happens so what if you could incorporate the beginner's mind where you are constantly expecting something new from your child, you are constantly expecting a new behaviour from your partner because you're trying new things and then that leads to new reactions from your children. Maybe it leads to less tantrums because you're not expecting them to blow up, you're not getting prepared, you're not on edge, you're not, you know, they can feel when your energy gets tense and when you've started to go into deflective mode or defensive mode so incorporating a bit of beginner's mind uh, means that frustration disappears and the learning opportunities come in then so what's a new thing I can learn about my child today what's a new thing I can learn about my husband or my wife today instead of judging them like I've judged them the five years previous because we are evolutionary creatures we are evolving we are changing and that's a beautiful thing let's let's celebrate that and, you know, allow it to come through. No, absolutely. And I love it. Thank you for sharing. What's your view on, you know, physical punishment versus like the timeout? Is there a happy medium or is one better than the other? Mm. Look, I, I, I couldn't say that I would ever suggest use physical consequences or physical discipline. That's not something that I believe in. It's not something that I believe. Um, should be resorted to at all now in terms of time out look there's pros and cons to that too there's we've got this idea that emotions big emotions are too much and big emotions are bad and then we send the child away to their room you sort it out you can't you can't get angry like that you can't cry like that or you can't yell like that go away and and you sort yourself out. However, these little these little beings are still trying to figure out what even that means. They don't even know what, you know, anger means. They don't even know what self-regulation means. They don't know any of this. So there's there's pros and cons to both. Yes, I get it. You know, if you've got five tantrums in a day, then, you know, how much can you handle as a parent to stay sane and be able to respond appropriately or the way that you want? You know, it, it there's there's never a perfect solution. However, usually Usually, you know, discipline is one of these things that if you are focusing on connection with your child more than discipline and you're focusing on teaching rather than uh, dictating, the need for consequences uh, like, you know, if you do resort to physical, okay, if you do resort to consequences or putting them in timeout, they actually start to decrease because the child feels connected to and they feel like you understand them. So when you focus on connection, you focus 
on teaching rather than dictating and controlling, then that's going to get you far more beneficial outcomes than the other. How do you teach like a two-year-old as an example? Because I know you can't really rationalize with them, right? Or explain to them what they did is wrong. You know, they do understand consequence because you do have to be fair. How would you do that? What would be a good example of that? Yeah. And it's interesting that you say the word wrong because, you know, what's considered right or wrong anyway. And then a good reflection point is why have I decided that's wrong for my two-year-old? Well, it's your Um, house, your rules, But if you're wanting... Well, that's again, and then we get then get into a dictatorship home sometimes, and that's where some of the controlling behaviours can come in. Where children just they they don't like to be controlled either, as much as parents don't like to be. <laughs> Who controlled. does, right? But obviously, adults. You're the, yeah, you're the parent. I mean, you run the household. They don't they don't run it, right? That's true, but they're just as intelligent as parents, and we don't give them enough credit for that. At and two years old, that they are. Absolutely. They are, you can still learn a lot from a two-year-old. No, you do, Um, but they're not, obviously they're not as intelligent as their parents at two years old. Yeah. Well, I I mean, yeah, we'll have to agree to disagree with that, Brian, because just because they show emotion doesn't mean they're not intelligent. No, they're intelligent, yes, but not as intelligent. And obviously there's a hierarchy. I mean, if you're, if you're the parents, it's your home, right? It's, it's, you are the, the king and queen of the castle. They are obviously living in the castle and it's your rules. And you know, if a rule is broken, I mean, that's on the parent to correct that behavior, correct, right? Yeah, look, I, I don't believe in a hierarchy system within family because I don't like, think that leads to long-term respect. You know, when I've, when I've worked with families who, who have that view, they, they often find themselves leading to dominating parenting or controlling parenting. And that often leads to suppressing a child rather than allowing the expression and just accepting what is for that child. And the second sure. that the parent disallows what that child needs to express or say or get out, because again, what is right or wrong? Then well, the parent um, dictates that, right? Then that well, they can if they want to, but in in my experience, it doesn't lead to less meltdowns. If that happens, it leads to more. Um, you know, with the with the clients that I've worked with, and the, so it's more I've problematic. Seen. You're meaning for more problematic children? No, no. For all so children. So if if a child. If a child is considered problematic, I would question why, because usually, again, our behaviours are just a symptom of a need not being met. It's really not, children are simple creatures, they have simple needs. And this is why my number one rule of creating a happy home is that parents get their needs met. So if they're okay, their children are okay. And I often find that when parents are leaning towards the controlling behaviours or controlled parenting versus connected parenting, then it's because they're fearful of something. It's because they're scared of something. It's because they, they, they honestly are not too sure what they're doing anyway. So if they can control every outcome and control their children, then they feel safer. They feel like, well... I am the powerful one here and that that supports their ego sometimes, right? Again, it comes back to self. Why is controlling more beneficial than connected parenting? They're two very different approaches. So it's it's just interesting to reflect on that and that's what I guide parents to do is reflect on, well, what, what's the difference for you in your mind? How were you parented? What are the values that have come through from your parents? Because there is, hasn't been one client yet for me that has had a domineering parent or a controlling parent or one that said, my rules go and you abide by my rules that have grown up to be confident, resilient people. They, they really feel oppressed. They feel you're like looking I wasn't at one, able hey, to you're express talk, You're myself. talking to one right now. 
Right. Okay. Well, it's interesting then to see, you know, where your views have come from and, and this well, is no, just, no, it's I just think reflection points. My, yeah. yeah. My, my views come from experience. So as an example, I have two daughters, right. And yeah, you know, my daughter, I think when she was three years old, I had to, you know, to, to punish her and it was very tough for me. I mean, it was very, very difficult for me. And if I felt the pain that she was feeling, but you know, it was the best mm-hmm. move that I ever made because now all I have to mm-hmm. do is, is give her that look and it's immediate back in line, you know? Sure. So she knows I mean business. She knows there's consequence for reaction. It's setting her for success later because mm-hmm. we live in a society where there are rules. When you go to work, the boss makes the rules, right? Period. And, you know, the president makes rules and you know, the senators make rules. And, you know, we live in a society of laws and that's just the way it is. And you can't do whatever you want. And, you know, you can't have anarchy in the home. Somebody has to have some type of control. You know, it doesn't have to be a dictatorship, like you mentioned, but there has to be mm-hmm. ground rules. And you can't have, I mean, imagine letting your kids run wild and you go into public and they're going ballistic, try explaining that to the store or to, you know, your friends when you're visiting them. It's just, it's just a natural thing where you want your kids to be respectful and obedient. I mean, I, I see it as being a normal thing. Okay. Okay. And, you know, again, that's, that's your experience and that's totally cool. And every, you know, there's not one parent that's the same and we're all going to have different views and that's cool. No, sure. Um, and yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And it just, it's just, it's just good reflection points. And I guess what, what I'm opposed to is everybody assuming that they're right or wrong, you know, and that there's always, as long as we're being critical of our own way of thinking, then at least we're being open. Because if we think we're in the laneway of being right compared to everybody else, then we are only ever allowed down one path. So if we're able to reflect and go, okay, cool. So I've, I've, I've seen I've seen parenting this way. I wonder why that is. Okay, is that is that getting me the results? Can I see the reactions that I want from my children? You know, it's our ability to be critical of our own thinking is the key. I believe. Yeah, no, and being fair and balanced. I mean, it's not like you're a, a tyrant. It's you reward good behaviors, but you don't reward bad behaviors. I mean, it's just that's that's being a a proactive parent and, and setting your child up for success later on down the line. You don't want them turning into a Kardashian, right? You want, you don't want them to be spoiled, entitled, you know, you want them to be respectful, obviously, and you want to raise them, you know, in in the, in the best way possible. So you have children? No, I don't have children, Brian. Okay. Yeah. When you do, you'll understand. (laughs) You'll get it. Yeah, look, yeah, look. And you know, uh, that's not something that, um, uh, it's not something that, I believe I will go down. It just depends on your values and beliefs. You know, I have been a child. I understand what it was like from my parenthood and what I experienced. And my my childhood was very, it was very uncertain. It was very unpredictable. I was surrounded by chaos a lot. It wasn't it wasn't safe for me. It was, it was, it wasn't great. And, you know, so I learned a great deal from that. And, you know, it's just, I, I just, I love seeing. I love seeing freedom and self-expressed kids. And I just see often when we're getting the results we don't want, it's just because we, we just need to try something new. So if it's working sure. for you, then wonderful. That's great. Right. Um, however, the majority of the time, Brian, you know, the parents I'm working with, they're just not getting the results that they want. They're not, the joy isn't there in their home. And right. if it's not there, it's because, well, what we're doing just isn't working. And this is not just in parenthood. This is in anything. If you're not getting the results you want in your career, in your relationship, in your own satisfaction or contentment, then something new has to be created. And often it's our unconscious thoughts and beliefs that we are that create 
you know, from zero to three years old that are preventing something new from showing up in our life. So how can you get support around that? How can you reframe and alter those unconscious thought patterns that are keeping you stuck? Um, you know, that's that's usually what, you know, a lot of the work I have to do with is that unconscious reprogramming. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree with you. I mean, I think that children should be able to express themselves and have certain freedoms within boundaries, right? It's all about setting the proper boundaries. And yeah, you you absolutely can have very happy children and, and very expressive children and free children just within the certain boundaries that you set. I mean, it's just all dependent on, you know, the rules that you yeah, set. Yeah, and look, there's there's different levels. And, you know, boundaries, boundaries, you know, children require safety and and boundaries is one thing that helps them feel safe within a home. And, you know, I totally hear you and I, I highly doubt that you're setting unrealistic ones. And, and unfortunately, there are a lot of homes out there that, that it is unrealistic. And when when the unrealistic expectations takes up more of a ratio than showing love and connectedness, then that's when the problems arise. So, you know, I highly doubt that, you know, there's there's an uneven ratio of, of love versus boundaries in your home. I highly doubt that. It's clear that you're a really dedicated dad, of course. Yeah, I mean, if the if the quarter doesn't bounce off the bed, they're in trouble. No, I'm kidding with you, but uh, I'm totally <laughs> kidding. But no, you know, the beauty is you know, you learn from your experience as a child. You know, you saw what happened with your parents, and you learned, and mm. now you take that mm. into this, and it changes. Mm. Like I say, it it molds you and changes your approach, and now you realize what didn't work because you felt that you were ex- you experienced that. And you're taking that in and helping other parents to correct, course correct it, which is fantastic. What do you think? Now, what is, I'd love for you to talk about epigenetics in and of itself. What is it and how does it support parent-child relationships? Yeah, so epigenetics is such an awesome framework and it's really starting to take over the world, so to speak. So, you know, when we think about our genome, so our genes, that's 5% of who we are. And epigenetics is 95% of who we are. So this is, you know, our lifestyle turns on and off certain genes in our body. That's how it works. And so epigenetics, what essentially the, the overview that I'll share is that there are, we each have a dominant hormone within our body. So there are six dominant hormones. Um, and this is all from in utero, Brian. So once we're in the womb, there is a dominant hormone at play. And depending on what dominant hormone is there will dictate how we develop. So it dictates what organs are the strongest. It dictates what organs are the weakest. Uh, it dictates how uh, big, small, short, thin, everything we are. So it dictates um, everything. And, and then from that, Brian, what it allows us to do is the hormone that's in our body and how we've developed, it actually it helps to inform how our brain thinks and reacts and processes information it helps us understand what communication style everybody has you know for children it helps us understand their learning style based on their body so it seems a little foreign so I'll give a concrete example so for there's one there's one epigenetic type and their dominant hormone is vasopressin okay now this this hormone is the hormone of safety what i mean by that is it's it's turning on the sympathetic nervous system okay fight flight response it's always on these are your really usually they show up as quite shy they're really reserved they really like their own time 
um, because they have sensory overload constantly because they're trying to determine if their environment is safe. Now, in terms of a learning style for these, they, they're very logically driven, okay? Their brain is the strongest organ. It's the organ that was developed the most. So they are the kids in the classrooms that are really happy to sit still for the whole time. They're happy to listen to the teacher. They want to learn. They love learning. They want to be the smartest person in the classroom. And that's because they learn fast. They're, they're focused. So their learning style is, but it needs to be quiet for these kids because any sounds really distracts them. It's overwhelming for them. Um, if it's cold, they can't learn. They have communication style. If you talk about feelings all the time with these children as they grow and grow, then they just become frustrated because actually they don't speak in feelings. They speak in logic. They, they think. They're the thinkers. So that's just an example. So when we understand, and, you know, oppositely, there's, there's a hormone called prolactin and these guys and gals, they, you know, they just talk in feeling. They're the most feeling-based people there are. They're the biggest nurturers on this planet. They, you think of the Italian nonnas, you know, the prolactin yeah. is the nurturing hormone. They're, they're just beautiful souls. They're great. So they're the opposite end of the spectrum. And um, so it just allows us then to understand that everybody really is different. We, we all have different communication styles, needs, uh, motivations, how we make choices is different. And so what it allows parents to do, which I'm finding, is just finally get that they are different to their children, even though they gave birth to them, they think differently, uh, not just because of their age, but also because of their biology and how that's helped the brain develop. So it's it allows then parents to under, understand each other better because quite often parents are a different biological type, a different epigenetic type. And so it just allows better communication, better understanding. And like I said at the start, when we feel understood, then, you know, all of those shields and defensive walls can just start to come down. That's great. That's great. I love to hear more about NLP in regards to parenting. I always thought it was used like in sales or, you know, manipulation. Would love to hear <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the advantages it brings to communicating with kids. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting you say that because that's definitely the old school way of thinking. And, you know, here in Australia, there is a movement where it's so not used for that anymore. Like it's just not, the trainers are so not interested in keeping it that corporate training. So my trainer is very holistic in nature. And so how it applies then is that, you know, when I'm working one-on-one with parents and it's interesting, you know, quite often we end up stop talking about the parent of the children, Brian, because it comes back to the parents. What are they struggling with in themselves? And, and so quite often we need, as I said at the, just before, we need to reprogram their unconscious mind. We need to either heal some past traumas. We either need to bring out some of those emotions that have been stuck in the body or oppressed, or we need to figure out how we can alter these belief systems that are just not serving them. So that's what NLP helps us do. And we use we use timeline therapy, we use neuro-linguistic programming. So language is a huge thing, a part of that. And so with the aim that, again, once we can change any patterns that are just not working for parents, then, of course, the home is going to transform and change, which, of course, helps to improve parent-child relationships. Um, it's just inevitable. That's great. And I love that. And Jessica, it's been amazing. I uh, really appreciate everything. Any last words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, look, I think if there's one theme that comes through and it's just always the number one thing is please just, just know that when you're okay, your children are okay. You know, if you're happy and content and grounded and fulfilled and 
either going after your dreams or you're, you know, doing things for you. You're not depriving your children of anything. You're actually giving them so much more because you're energised, you're vivacious, you're feeling great and that's the only thing your children want for you and for them. They just want you to be happy. That's their number one goal. Um, So, you know, choose you more often would be my final words. Love it. Now, very last question, Jessica. It's just a personal question to get to know you just a little bit better. So you're going to be in an island uh, for the rest of your life enjoying yourself. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? Oh, oh, the album. Album would probably be the first one that come to my head was Pink Floyd. That would be the first one. That would nice. be the album. Yeah. The, the book, interesting question. What was, the, what was the first one you said? There was a book and then? Uh, movie. Movie. Okay. The movie would probably be Eat, Pray, Love. I love that movie. So that would be the movie so that I keep remembering what travel is like. And then the book the book would probably be, God, oh, Harry Potter for sure. Harry Potter. Nice. Definitely. Yeah, I hear they're trying to ban that yeah. because of J.K. Rowling's stance on gender identity. But, hey, you what? know what? Yeah, you didn't hear about that? Oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, she she says oh, that, you know, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, so that people are up in arms and want her books burned, you know, but hey. Oh, <laughs> okay, interesting. I haven't heard that. Okay. It I'll is what it is, right? Now. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, Jessica, it's been awesome. How do people get in touch with you, connect with you, learn more about the Happy Home Movement? So come on over to, of course, social media is active and we're always on the go. So jessica.mcelveen on Instagram, same on Facebook. And then if you want to privately contact me, you can do through those channels or just email me, jessica at jessicamcelveen.com. That's the best way to get in contact with me. And website is under construction. So I, I just, it's jessicamcelveen.com. So hopefully by the time your, your listeners listen, it'll be up and running, but always head to social media and, and I'll, yeah. I'll get back to them as soon as I can. Wonderful, Jessica. Listen, it's been amazing. Like I mentioned, have a beautiful day. I know it's the morning there, you know, nice and uh, bright morning there. It's and, nice uh, and sunny. Coast. Yeah, here it's it's just uh, winding down, but have a beautiful rest of the day. We'll stay connected. And of course, keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Thank, thanks yeah, much. thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.